I think we were, I was maybe 10 or 11, and we were coming back from a holiday in France as a family, and uh, we were late for the ferry. Uh, I don't think the channel tunnel had been constructed yet, so uh, we were uh, we were late for the ferry, and my dad, if you know anything about him, he likes to be on time. Um, you know, he's, uh, he, he wants to be there. And so uh, for us to be late, uh, of course, was, um, it was a stressful moment for us as a family. And, and so in France, you know, the car was speeding around corners, and, you know, we're on the other side of the road, and the wheels, you know, the, the, the steering wheels on the other side of the, you know, of the car, and, um, you know, we're... Um, we're, you know, we're trying to work out how to get there, you know, the quickest that we we can. And and the question on our minds as we're doing this, you know, as a family, and I still remember it, is: uh, Are we going to miss the boat? Will we miss the boat, or will we make it on time? And uh, and then eventually, with with um, adrenaline coursing through our veins, we kind of crest this hill and we look down uh, into the ferry port and we see nothing. All of the, there's no cars. There's no cars. And if you're late for a ferry and you go down and you see the car park and there's no cars, you know that's not a, a very good sign. And so we, we race down the hill and we, uh, I, I'm pretty sure there was a border control there because, of course, we were, you know, starting to uh, move across a border from, you know, France over into England, into the UK. And so, you know, we, you know, in those days, you know, it wasn't open borders in the EU, and so we had to, you know, have our, our passports checked, and it just felt like it was excruciatingly slow. Eventually, uh, we were allowed through, and uh, we drove through this uh, empty car park. If you've ever driven through an empty car park, it's incredibly liberating because there's no rules, right? There's no one there, and you could do anything you want, and eventually we reached the terminal where the ferry was leaving from, and then we turned the corner, and to our relief, the ferry was still there, which is amazing news. Everyone give my dad a round of applause. <laughs> 33 years later. So, uh, and, and then we showed our ticket, and we drove up the ramp into the belly of the ferry, and then the door closed, and we left uh, for whatever port we were sailing to in England. We, we just made it. We did not miss the boat, which was great news. This is the last in our sermon series on the book of Exodus. And, uh, and if you remember, the first half of Exodus is this story of, of, uh, of the people of God leaving Egypt, of being rescued. Uh, and then they arrive at Mount Sinai, at Mount Horeb, which was the mountain where God first appeared to Moses in the burning bush. They arrive there. That's the first 19 or 20 chapters. And then the last half of Exodus is the account of God making a covenant, a, a promise, a relationship uh, with his people through the Ten Commandments and through a sacrificial system, and also by moving into the tabernacle. So it's the making of the tabernacle. So the first half of Exodus, I think I said, I think I said this in the first sermon, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, but the first half is about the people of God leaving, and the second half is about the God of the people arriving. Okay, It's the people of God leaving, and then it's the God of the people arriving. Last week, we learned from Exodus 35 and 36 how to turn the corner. Um, it was our last service outside. It was wonderful. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it, was, it was just lovely to be there. And, uh, and in that sermon, we uh, learned 
I don't know if you remember, but we learned how to stop, keep going straight, and we learned to how to turn the corner, how to do something new. And we, uh, and we learned that turning the corner starts with rest, right? There are three R's. You know, the first one is rest because you have to be able to hear God speak to you. And so you have to rest. It starts with, you know, the Sabbath. And then it's into that rest that God makes his request where God whispers in our ear and he says, okay, turn here. This is the turn. And then, uh, and then, um, and In that context, God's request was for the people of God to give from their resources for the construction and the creation of the tabernacle. Then after hearing his request, the third part of turning the corner is to respond in obedience. And so uh, in, in chapter 36, actually, we read that the response was such a positive response. People were so involved and engaged that uh, Moses had to tell the people in the end, stop bringing stuff, we have enough, okay, we, we don't need any more stuff, please stop, and I just love that, I, I love that when God grabs a hold of his people, uh, that, um, you know, we are generous, right, because uh, we love him so, so much, um, but so this is them, you know, they turn the corner, rest, request, and respond, but Turning the corner isn't enough. It's not the whole story because uh, in the Exodus story, in the, in the Exodus account, now the raw materials are in, right? They've turned the corner, the raw materials are in, but the construction on the tabernacle hasn't yet taken place, hasn't yet started. So the work is, there's a lot of work still for them to do. Now, in my story uh, that I told at the beginning, uh, my dad turned the corner and we saw the ferry, right? And, uh, uh, but what would happen if while we were congratulating each other on making it in time and turning the corner that the ferry sails away, well, we've kind of missed, uh, literally missed the boat, right? And, uh, and it, it ends up being all for nothing. So, um, so it's not enough to turn the corner, you know, in... Our picture there, you also have to get on the boat. You have to turn the corner and you have to get on the boat. And in this analogy, turning the corner means hearing the voice of God. Uh, it means, and then it means taking that first step of obedience into whatever God has next. Okay, so turning the corner is a vital step. Nothing else happens if we don't turn the corner. But actually getting on the boat means that we all do our part so that we can all fulfill God's will for us as a local church. Um, so it's great to turn the corner, friends. Um, and I hope that for many of us in our hearts, we have turned the corner. But like I said, we don't want to miss the boat. So the question is, what's involved in not missing the boat? What does it mean for us to fulfill God's plans for us as a local church? Uh, And to find that out, we're going to look at the last couple of chapters in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, because we don't have any notes on the screen this this morning, uh, then then I hope that either on your phone or in your real Bible, um, you will be turning with me to uh, you know the verses as we read through, and also you know uh, making notes. So, first, you know uh, it's it's awful. It's a I try not to do 
alliteration, but I think it's hardwired into every pastor across the world that alliteration is the way to go. And so, again, we have alliteration. Last week it was rest, uh, request, and respond. And this week we're going to start with the letter P. So we start with the word preparation. Everyone say preparation. And feel free to write that down. And so uh, the Hebrews have brought their gold and their treasures and their linen. They've already responded. And now between chapter 36 and 39, the skilled workers prepare. They make the component parts for the tabernacle. So from the raw materials that people have already donated, the workers are preparing the individual parts that will become a whole. It's, it's like when we had the roof worked on last year, you know, the first thing that happened is that all the stuff came, all of the metal came, right? But that wasn't the end of the process because then after the metal came, then it had to be put together into sections. And after it was put into sections, it was then whatever happened with the magic of roofiness, but it somehow got upon the roof and it was nailed in place. And now we have a roof. So there's these multiple stages there. And so in Exodus 36 verse 8, it it says this, all those who were skilled among the workers made the tabernacle. All those who were skilled among the workers made the tabernacle. And they're working in teams. And between Exodus 36 and 39, we we have the curtains team. We have the frames team. And we have, you know, the bases team and the crossbars team. Uh, We have Mr. Bezalel working on the Ark of the Covenant. We have one, one team working on the table. Then there's the lampstand team and the altar of incense team and the altar of burnt offerings team and the washing basin that Nathan mentioned a few weeks ago. Uh, and then there's the courtyard and some work on the priestly garments, some work on the ephod and the breast piece. And finally, they make a crown. And on this crown, it says inscribed, holy to the Lord. And what that shows us is that what's happened over these past three chapters between 36 and 39 is all about him, right? It's all about him, holy to the Lord. It's all set apart for him and his glory. So that is the preparation. And at the end of this process of preparation, we read in Exodus 39, verse 20, verse 32, it says this, so all the work on the tabernacle, uh, the tent of meeting was completed, The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, so on and so on and so on. So it's all brought to Moses. So how do we translate this into our context as a local church, right? What does this mean for us? Because that was then, thousands of years ago, uh, halfway across the world in a very different culture. This was not 2021 North Gore. So instead of the ancient lampstands, do you think maybe we're talking about electrical light fixtures? It's not lampstands, but now our modern equivalent are the electrical lights. And instead of the Ark of the Covenant at the front of the church, was it maybe the communion table? Is that what this means? Instead of curtains, are we maybe talking about who's going to choose the color for the paint of the wall and who's going to get it done? Is that what this means? Is this how we interpret it into our lives? And the answer is, no, don't be silly, right? Because the modern counterpart of the temple and of the tabernacle is not 6556 Prince of Wales Drive, okay? This is not about our building. 
The modern equivalent of the tabernacle is the blood-bought, justified, and redeemed people of God. We are the tabernacle. We are the church. This isn't the temple. This is the temple. You are the temple. And not you individually, but you as a group. If you're Christ's, then you are the temple. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. And so that's why we don't want to miss the boat because God is assembling his team, which is us so that he can make an eternal and kingdom impact on North Gore through us. And so the curtains and the Ark of the Covenant and the poles and the stands and the basin and the altars, that is now us. And this step of preparation is God assembling the parts of the temple. This is him assembling the crew of his ship. God is assembling his crew. And so as God's assembled crew, we're stood there on the quayside, waiting to board the ship because we don't want to miss the boat. But after this first step of preparation, there's then a pause, okay? Last week it started with rest. Now, in this, uh, in this um, as we not just turn the corner, but we want to not miss the boat, um, there is now a pause. And so at the end of chapter 39, the work pauses, the work stops. Verse 42, the, the Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and he saw that they had done it just as the Lord commanded. So Moses blessed them. All of the bits of the tabernacle are brought to Moses, and Moses does an inspection. It's a bit like if you have a new Lego set. You want to make sure that all the parts are there. Because if you're missing one piece, even just one piece, it won't work. Not like it should. You need to do an inventory. There needs to be quality control. And so once Moses is happy that everything is there according to God's blueprints, he then signs off on it, and the work is able to progress. And friends, just like Moses did a tabernacle inventory, we as a church uh, need to do a soul inventory. Each of us needs to do a soul inventory. And if we're all doing individual soul inventories, then we as a church are doing a soul inventory. Because like I said, it's not just about us. I'm not the temple of God. We are the temple of God, right? But we all uh, have to do a soul inventory. And we need, to, we need to pause and we need to make a decision in, and of our, in our own lives. And no one can force us to, right? No one can force us to. Um, but we need to make a choice whether we're going to be part of what God is constructing and building and creating. If, if, if we're willing to be part of this crew that God is assembling. 
Suppose, of you, or suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Luke chapter 14, verse 28. And so, friends, God is assembling his crew. And uh, on a ship, right, um, Every crew member is absolutely essential, right? Um, And this ship, you know, we are in a ship. You know, it's not a physical ship, but it's kind of like a spiritual ship. And we aren't, we aren't a, you know, we aren't a cruise ship. I think sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we're on a cruise ship and we're just along for the ride. And, you know, someone's going to serve us. And, you know, when's the buffet? And, when are the cocktails and, you know, I hope I have a nice view out of my room, right? Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking and when we come back after, you know, a year and a half apart, you know, we need to remind ourselves that, you know, we're not passengers on this ship, but that we're crew members on this ship. This isn't, this isn't a cruise ship. This is part of God's merchant navy. This is a working ship. Uh, And Paul puts it like this, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, okay? Do you believe that? That God has placed all of the parts in the body just as he wanted them to be. Uh, This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. Uh, If they were all one part, where would the body be, right? If the ship was a funnel, where would the ship be? It would sink straight away. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. The funnel cannot say to the engine room, I don't need you. And the bow cannot say to, you know, the anchor, I don't need you. Now, for four years, my job um, on the missionary ship, you know, Maybe this is why all these nautical themes, themes are coming through, you know, is because uh, we, 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 of course, lived on the ship, Wendy and I, for six years, and us as a family for four years. And my, and my job on this missionary ship, the Logos Hope, was the personnel manager. And twice a year, we'd have this intake of new recruits. Uh, in fact, it would be happening around about now, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, and so maybe that's even happening now. They have this... Uh, this um, intake of new recruits and just as a little side thing you know is that they need new recruits now you know because of what's happened over the past 18 months you know the ship uh mv logos hope is actually short of recruits and so if you know someone that uh, you know you think would be um that you know the lord might be calling uh then have a word with me or or them but but when they arrive, these new recruits, what happens is that the existing ship's company, they all meet on the quayside. And we make this thing known as a flag tunnel, which is I'm here, someone's opposite me, and we're holding a country flag. You know, so, you know, I always made sure that the Welsh flag was there in the flag tunnel, and there was all the Canadians and this and that, and, the, you, know, you know, and the Chileans and the Koreans and everything like that. Sixty countries represented this flag tunnel that just went on and on. And so, you know, the new recruits would come, and they would run through it, and everyone would be cheering, and it would be so exciting. And then the, the flag tunnel would end at the gangway, and they'd go up the gangway, uh, into the ship. Now, I wasn't part of the flag tunnel. I was usually at the top of the gangway surveying. I was watching, okay? Because when these folks arrived, I didn't just see new recruits. I didn't just see 30 new 
people from around the world. Instead, um, I knew that that guy with his family over there was our new second engineer. And this woman over here, well, she's working in the galley, so she'll be working in the galley. And that guy over here, well, he's been, um, he's been earmarked to work in the book fair. And she's, she's the new doctor. And, you know, and the couple over there, well, he's the head chef, and she is the head of the cleaning team, you know. I, I saw all of this because my team was responsible for making sure that everyone had a job. And so every single person who came on the Logos Hope had a job, job had a role, had a meaningful role. And what I found through these four years is sometimes the most stressful times was when we were under our manning scale, when we didn't have the intake that we wanted. And if we were just a few short, uh, the rest of the crew would feel it. And we had to be really creative, like maybe someone did one and a half jobs, or maybe this thing had to just get left undone. You know, all of that had to happen um, because someone else would have to pick up the slack because we were missing someone from the Manning scale. And friends, if we're going to build the temple that is God's church, which is us, then we're going to need all of us. And that's why every one of us needs to pause and we need to ask ourselves, uh, am I on board with what God is doing? Am I pushing forward the mission of God here in North Gore or am I just along for the ride? Am I a crew member or am I a passenger? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, verse 23. And so, friends, that's the, you know, you know, that's the pause. So we've had the preparation. We've had the pause. You know, we're all on the key side. But... Now we're on to the third P, and the third P is that, if you're, uh, is that if you're on this ship that Jesus is sailing, if you love Jesus, then you have a part to play. That's our third point, part to play. We all have a part to play. There's preparation, there's the pause, and now there's a part to play. And so in Exodus 40, we see Moses taking you know, the parts of the tabernacle, and he puts them all together just so. If you read it through, which we won't this morning, it's so specific. Well, let's, let's, let's read a couple of verses. This is just a... Um, you know, just one little part of what of the larger picture. But Exodus forty eighteen, when Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, set up the posts. Then he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. And then you know, and then it just goes on and on. This goes here in front of this, and this goes here to the left of this, and on and on and on it goes. And so Moses puts every part in its right place. Um, and the Bible says that he does it as the Lord commanded him. And this phrase, as the Lord commanded him, in this passage is repeated eight times. As, as the Lord commanded, so God's whispering in Moses' ear, Moses does it. It's, it's like a 3D puzzle, right? It's like a Lego set in which the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And what's true for the tabernacle and what's true for a ship's crew is also true for us. God puts us together and he puts us where he needs us. In, and so in God's kingdom work, there is a place for you, whoever you are. Amen. 
And then at the end of chapter 40, we read this in verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Right, this is the last little bit. And so Moses finished the work. Verse 34, then the cloud, okay, you just imagine this. All this works and everyone's brought their stuff. It's been the preparation and the pause, you know, and the part to play. Everything's, you know, together. It's finished. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The preparation, the pause, the part to play. And now the presence, the presence of God. Now, as Nathan and I were talking about the sermon, so we always meet on a Tuesday morning and and we bounce ideas off. And he mentioned this word called Shekinah glory. Okay, Shekinah glory. And uh, I'd heard this word being, you know, raised in the church subculture in Wales. I'd heard this word Shekinah glory a lot. But as Nathan was talking with me, I realized I didn't actually know what it meant. And so, you know, we got our dictionary from um, our shelf and we looked it up and, and I just assumed that the word Shekinah was a word in the Bible. But this week I discovered it's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical word. It, 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 it's a word that actually started up after the Bible ended, then it started its use. And uh, Shekinah is, it's a Christianese word, it's a church word, a bit like unction or maybe blessing or hedge of, hedge of protection. You, know, you don't hear people in Walmart talking about hedge of protection. That's a, that's a church word. It's a word that we use. You know, people don't talk about fellowship outside of church. You know, they just get together and hang out in church. We don't hang out, we fellowship, right? And, uh, you know, folks outside, you know, don't have a quiet time. Church people have a quiet time. And so uh, Shekinah is a church word. It's a Christianese word. But even though it's not necessarily in the Bible per se, it does describe and explain something really important that we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, And it's this idea of the Shekinah of, of the Lord. And, you know, If I'm fair, even though the word's not in the Bible, it does come from a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is shakan. And the Hebrew word shakan or sakan means, you know, to live or to dwell. And so whenever we we talk about the shekinah of God, it refers to these moments when God dwells with his people in a powerful and a glorious way. And so we see God's Shekinah glory earlier in the book of Exodus when God's glory settles on Mount Sinai. That's the Shekinah glory of God. We also see God's Shekinah glory uh, later when the temple is uh, dedicated in, in 1 Kings 8. And then we see God's Shekinah, you know, this is the one which we're most... Um, you know, which is most well known, uh, we see it when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. That is the Shekinah of God when the Holy Spirit comes uh, during Pentecost. And so these are all moments of God's Shekinah, of God's dwelling with his people in an extra special way. And we see it here in Exodus chapter 40. And so Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God's people have turned the corner through rest. 
and through hearing God's request and through responding. And then Moses finishes the work of preparation, of pause, of making sure that everyone has a part to play so that they don't miss the boat. And then the glory of God, the Shekinah, fills the tabernacle. And this means that just like my dad, they didn't miss the boat. They made the boat. They were there on time. Now, friends, the Lord is everywhere, right? It says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of a house will you build for me? That's Acts chapter 7. And so we cannot constrain God and we cannot limit him and we cannot make him, what he, what, make him do what we want him to by services or rituals or rites or anything. You know, that, that, that God's not limited to what we do on a Sunday morning uh, or he's not limited by our programs And that's the point, that's my point, is that this focus on turning the corner, this focus on not missing the boat, is not about getting enough people to run our programs, right? You know, this isn't one of those sermons where it's like, now you should all be involved in, in, you know, in what we're doing. That's not where I'm heading in this. But the Shekinah glory of God shows up when God's people are united in purpose and mind and heart for his glory. Amen. They build the tabernacle, united in purpose, and God shows up. And they, you know, and they build the temple, and God shows up. And they meet in the upper room to wait and to pray, and God shows up. And so for some of you, to not miss the boat will mean stepping into a team here at Cornerstone, whether Kids Church or Nursery or AV or the Show Love Team or Cornerstone Kids or Midweek or Friends for Dinner, you know, or this work day which is happening on October 16th, maybe this is what it means for you to be part of glorifying God so that you are part of the crew here. But for others of you, maybe the way that you glorify God is being out there in the marketplace, leading a quiet life, minding your, you know, your, your own beeswax and working with your hands, as 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 10 tells us. But the point is this, when we're all on the same boat and we're all sailing in the same direction, each doing our part, God shows up. God blesses. God leads this is the moment when God pilots his ship. Now, whenever we would uh, approach a port on the Logos Hope and on the Logos 2 uh, on the previous ship, I was actually part of the deck crew and this was my, my job. But we would reduce the engine speed and then we'd slow down. And what would happen is that this little boat would draw alongside the big ship. And I would let down a ladder... And then a man wearing a life jacket with a briefcase would climb this rope ladder onto the top of the ship. And we're all like, I hope he doesn't fall off. We've got these stanchion posts set up. And then, uh, you know, it's this, it's this thrill, right? You're sailing along. You know, anyone could fall. And it's really exciting. But then he would climb on. And then one of the deck crew, uh, one of my team, would then lead this man up onto the bridge. And when this man was on the bridge, suddenly... His voice was the only voice that mattered. And even the captain of the ship would kind of step aside and say, okay, you're in charge now. 
because this man was the pilot. And this man's job was to bring the ship safely to the port where we were heading. And so the pilot knew the waters. He knew where to steer. He knew where to avoid. He knew where the sandbanks were and the shipwrecks. He knew all of this because this was his home turf. He lived there his whole life. And he, was, he, he knew this area in a way that no one else on the bridge knew. And so when the pilot comes on board and his presence is felt on the bridge, then in a sense everyone else can relax because the pilot is now in the charge and he's making the calls. Exodus 40.36 says this, In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. God piloted the the people of Israel, and God wants to pilot us with his presence, with his Shekinah glory. He alone is familiar with what is ahead. He knows where the shoals are and the sandbanks are. He knows where the ways through are. We don't know that. We have no idea. Zero idea. He, he, he alone knows what our community needs. And he alone knows what you need. And we can trust him. 